You're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, it's America's talk radio show about opera. It's Opera Box Score. I'm George Cedarquist, joined this week by Weston Williams. All right. After an injury sidelined him from a college football career, our interview guest turned to the most logical alternative, opera. His young (laughs) career has already taken him to Pensacola Opera, Opera Birmingham, Mm. Fort Worth Opera, and now the world premiere of Jake Heggie and Gene Shears' Intelligence at Houston Grand Opera. We go inside the huddle with baritone Alex DeSocio. And then it's the return of friend of the show, Ryan Speedo Green. Speedo takes a free throw on how he <laughs> scored the role of Emil Griffith in the high-profile Met debut of Terrence Blanchard's champion. Plus, in the two-minute drill, so if you cancel yourself, does that count as cancel culture? Mm-hmm. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Spotify, you're going to click follow. Apple Podcasts, please hit that plus sign. Send us a voice memo, email us your hot takes on what we're talking about, mailbag at operaboxscore.com, or you can just record your thoughts using the You Got Something to Say page on the brand new website, operaboxscore.com. However you contribute, you're going to get the OBS Beer Coaster, the OBS Lapel Pen, and the all-new number one OBS fan, Foam Finger. I've seen them. They're incredible. They're foamy. All that. They're foamy, they're incredible, and all that is just for sharing your own hot take. Weston Williams, there he is. You and me, sir, tonight. Oh, uh, yeah, this is another rare sort of combination, okay, just yeah. George and Weston. That's that's another rare one. I feel like I'm in the hot spot because usually you turn things over to Oliver and he's like, here's the latest on tennis. Uh, here's the latest that I know about tennis. It's still being played somewhere by someone. Thank you so much for that hot take on tennis. Roll Tide. Uh, the oh, Lord. Chicago Bears <laughs> two and six halfway through the season, about to open up. I believe they're playing one home game in the next five weeks. This team is not going to get any better. Now there's talk that Jim Harbaugh, coach of my Michigan Wolverines, might even be coming to the Bears next season. We're going to see if that's true or not. Let's talk some opera. Huddle up. Let's go inside the huddle. Described by the New York Times as having a buttery, booming baritone, Alex DeSocio is a Northwestern and University of Maryland grad who has worked in many regional opera companies and is a two-time Metropolitan Council audition semifinalist. Hey, he loves playing Dungeons and Dragons, too. He joins us <laughs> mid-performance at Houston Grand Opera, where he's covering the role of Travis Briggs in Jake Heggie and Gene Shear's new opera, Intelligence. Alex DeSocio, my old friend, it's great to have you on the show. Oh, yes. My old uh, my old uh, landlord, technically, uh, <laughs> as I lived in George Cedarquist's attic uh, when we were in Pittsburgh together that one season in 2013. It was it was the best. It was the best funnest year of my life up there. <laughs> I, I almost let you babysit my kids, man. You let me. Well, you, there, you actually did. I think let me babysit some twi- like once or twice when you and uh, Elaine really wanted a date night. So I. <laughs> but yeah, I, I have watched your kids. I've watched your kids grow up. It's it's kind of incredible. So, uh, buddy, we've known each other a long time. We first met at Northwestern. I was in the grad program. You were the undergrad program. But mm-hmm. even before we met, you had gone to Northwestern. Really, I believe thinking football. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, a lifetime ago, literally at this point, like twenty plus, almost twenty years. No, actually, twenty years ago, uh, I was offered a scholarship. I was, uh, and I and I verbally committed to Northwestern when I was sixteen uh, years old, sophomore at uh, Washtenaw Collegiate High School, um, and uh, I verbally committed to Northwestern. Uh, and then, and then my body proceeded to say, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, and my tore, I blew up my shoulder, my ankle got, had to get reconstructed. My shoulder was reconstructed. Oh God. Uh, my hip, my hip is still not great. I mean, I, it's one of the things I'm paying for it now. Just that high school football, God forbid if I actually played in college. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I was, I was planning on going to school for, because I, you know, I, I was just trying to find a way to sneak into a good school so I could get a real degree like engineering. Uh, Because I knew my grades were good enough, but they weren't good enough by themselves. 
And so with football, when football didn't work, I was like, well, what can I do that sneak into a really good university? And that that was singing. I was like, I can scream good. You know, somebody will give me a scholarship <laughs> to get into school. Uh, but how much singing had you done before Northwestern? Oh, how much singing had I done before? Oh, a lot. See, I went to a school that uh, I went to a private K through 12 secular school, secular college preparatory school that you had to sing from kindergarten through your freshman year of high school. You didn't wow. have a choice. And most of us, and most of us took it through, I would say more, more than half of people took it through senior year. Um, you know, and I mean, and then you could also switch to orchestra or band, but I stayed with singing the whole time. So I had sung a bunch. I mean, I was, I had done musicals. I had taken dance training. Uh, I had, you know, I had, I had never had a lead at that point, but I had minor roles. Um, like the like the jailer or something in Les Mis, where I had like one little scene. I mean, I it was one of those things where like I had like experience, but I was like, hey, I could probably parlay this into a scholarship somewhere. Um, and luckily, my parents had the resources, and my uh, my school had the resources to get me in, in really in contact with great singers and great uh, teachers uh, in New York primarily. So I ended up having to do a lot. I actually would fly to New York once a month to study with uh, Barbara Conrad, David Kelso. Um, and literally like fly up there, they'd be like, Hey, fix all this crap. And then send me home. And then I had to fix it when I got by, fix it on my own. And then when I got back, they'd be like, that sounds great. Or, that sounds awful. I mean, buddy. So Northwestern, Maryland, Marilla, Pittsburgh, the list goes on for you. The Met council auditions. And mm -hmm. now this world premiered Jake Heggie, Gene shares its intelligence. Uh, mm -hmm. is the is the new show. I, I want to start kind of top down on this one. And as a director, of course, I always think the director's at the top. But for this show, <laughs> it's two roles in one person. It's choreographer and director Jirole Willa Joe Zolar. What's that process been like? I mean, again, the, the weird thing about covering, because we came in, they'd already been here like two and a half weeks uh, uh, staging before we even the cover showed up. So by the time we got here, the whole the whole show was pretty much staged. So we didn't get to see like the nitty gritty um, of that stuff being done. But what I did see is like it, it was more about framing the singers on the stage, if that makes sense. So like she would use the dancers basically as all the motion for the stage, and the singers really almost did like an old school park and bark. Hmm. So they would they they had minimal. They really didn't have other than like the fights and the let's call it the not fun spicy scene in act two with travis briggs uh and uh uh and mary jane uh but like other than those scenes it pretty much was like she would just frame like use the singers as the static aspect and use the dancers as the motion it's it was really for the singers it almost it was almost like a park like a more like a park and bark and and so you know, me being used to modern directing and modern staging of like singers jumping around and doing backflips and <laughs> doing difficult staging to go back to like almost like an old school, like out and about, sit in a chair, look out. It was it was kind of I was wondering, was like, is this going to work for a modern audience? Um, but then once you put it with the projections and the stage and the dancers and the costuming, it actually worked extremely well. Awesome. Um, it was really good for your old football injuries, too, I imagine. Oh God, yeah. So I mean, that being said, then <laughs> Travis has like the two fight scenes in the show, uh, and then also a kind of a physical, again, a physical scene with Mary Jane in Act Two. So, yeah, it was. I mean, I, there was a day I was like, it, it was pretty much just two hours of sweating for the fight scene. So, well, let's talk a little bit about fight scenes. Uh, you are apparently, I did not know this until uh, you know maybe an hour or so before when I was like looking over the uh, the information here, you are apparently the only opera singer certified as an actor combatant in the Society of American Fight Directors. Is that true? That, that is correct. Now, I at the time, I've been told there has been one other person to get the certification. <laughs> um, I've been told there's one other, but I don't, that is, well, I'm, I'm the only one for my knowledge because uh, I was the only one that they've ever dealt with and it became very obvious when I was down there uh, at the... Um, uh uh at the national like the, the like their national thing they do in uh normally they do it in like south carolina but this one was done in in um, at louisiana tech right. um and 
uh, it was weird because it was like, I was like, hey, so, you know, I was learning all the things. You're like, oh, by the way, so we have to do this scene at the end. You have to do like these complicated scenes where you have to do like full dialogue and it has to be extra long. And they actually judge you as much as you're acting as they judge the combat itself. Right. And I remember being like, I have not been trained in any of this. Uh, <laughs> I haven't done a legitimate scene in a decade and, and not my master's program. And they're like, yeah, you'll be fine. I'm like, no, I don't think you understand. I won't be fine. Um, <laughs> I was like, can I just sing my parts? And they're like, no, you can't. I'm like, okay. Uh, and they were very confused because I thought it was like purely based on like what your technical aspect was. They're like, no, 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 you can be perfect. And we'll still we'll, we'll like, uh, if you do all your moves correctly, we'll just pass you. But you have to be a good actor to get like the better pass. I'm like, oh, so mm. I'm just not, I'll just pass. We'll be fine. I'm good then. Great. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, but I'm the only, only guy. It's like, uh, and it takes forever. I mean, we were there for yeah. 12. No, not, when does it 12 weeks? I'm sorry. We were there for three and a half weeks. And then, Jeez. and then like, uh, and they'll fail. And it was like, it was like six, six, seven hours a day. Um, and they, and they failed uh, just under half of the group. So you yeah. go there, you pay $3,000 and you could literally fail. And they, cause they won't accept you because they have such high standards. Well, yeah. It's like being in an ARIA competition. <laughs> yeah. the, the, the skills that you learned though, with society of American fight directors. So going back to intelligence, like has that come into some of the, the fight calls that you've done? Oh yeah. Because the good thing, you know, when you work at companies at this level, HGO, I mean, they have, they have uh, a guy by the name of Luke here. I forget his last name, but he's their fight director. He's in, he's a fight director in the society of American fight directors. Um, and, uh, and so I was like, Hey, just, you know, I'm certified. And he was like, what? He's like, what do you mean you're certified? I've never met a singer who's certified. And I'm like, yeah, well, I'm the only one. And he's like, well, then you're going to be a lot of help when we get to this, when we get to the cover staging of this. Um, I was like, yeah, I will be. Cause I'll be like, you'll just tell me and I'll just do it. And that was the thing is like, and the thing we actually, the, what happened was actually it's a fun story about that is that when we were doing our cover staging, they wanted to change to the actual staging for the fight. Um, they didn't like um, the the, uh, the the executive director and like the team here didn't like how it was looking on stage, and it did look a little weird. And so they they were like, "Hey, could you just change it?" And Luke and I literally was like, "All right, let's figure this out." And so we literally figured out the new staging together on the fly for like an hour uh, during our cover staging, and then we just threw that, and that was what we did for them. Uh, they did they did a slight variation of one of the things we did. Um, uh, and it was just like, yeah, and I, but no, for me, it's easy. Cause I know how to fall. I know how to grab somebody without hurting them or myself. Um, it's one of those things I just, it, there's not a lot of explaining. It's more of like, Hey, I just need to stack here. You need to go up to down. You're going to one to five. Like you just, there's this terminology you can just use when you, when you go through the, when you go through the society, uh, and you get certified. Cause then it's just like, Oh, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I, I think that's uh, more, more opera singers should be, uh, certified by AS, a, uh, SFAD. No, they shouldn't. We want we want Dissocio to be the only one. We don't want other opera singers. (laughs) That's true. No, I I, oh no no no. I would largely prefer because I can't tell you how many times (laughs) I even before I got certified that I'd be in a fight and then there'd be some guy, some tenor or some whatever would just be like, oh, we'll we'll just figure it out. And like, no, we won't. I have seen some. You're gonna hurt me. And he's like, no, we'll figure it out. And then you get punched or kicked. or need. I have seen some bad, unsafe-looking fight scenes, oh, yeah. even on very like really big, prestigious opera stages. So, oh yeah, I think I think this is great. I I completely support your certification as an actor yeah. who has who has been in some shows where maybe people were not fighting as they should. I you know I feel very safe with you. Yeah, I and again, thank you for that. And I think every singer <laughs> should. Every singer that sh- should get like, you know, Luke and I were talking about, we think that they should come up like a singer version of the actor combatant mm. where you get certified yeah. in, because uh, we don't use their their main three they do, which is broadsword, rapier and dagger and unarmed. Um, we, I mean, as singers, we use like, I would say we use unarmed dagger and single sword the most. And I think we, it would be really beneficial to have like a singer fight workshop of like these are the three things you're going to use all the goddamn time and like <laughs> but again it's it'd be expensive and then singers ha- you have to like get it involved and it's gonna you know i'd have to go get like a teaching certification and two other more certifications i guess to get to the levels where we could do it and 
it's just, it's it's a huge hassle, especially when I'm trying to you know make money and sing. So, other names on the intelligence opera at HGO, uh, Janae Brugger and Michael Mays. You've been hanging out with them. What's uh, something that you might have learned or gleaned about the business from one of those two? No, Janai, I haven't I haven't talked much with Janai um, because she's the lead lead in the show. She's like right. the Susanna, where it's like her name's not in the in the lights, if you will. But she starts the show, she ends the show, she has like three arias. She's she doesn't really leave the stage, and so I haven't gotten to get know her because most of she's been like, I have to go home. I'm very tired. I'm like, oh, okay, bye. It's nice to meet you. <laughs> now, Mike, on the other hand, I mean, Mike and I have known each other for. I think I met Mac, Mike back all the way in like 2015 or 16 at Fort Worth for like a gala concert thing. Uh, and I've worked with his wife, uh, Megan, several times. Um, but Mike, uh, you know, Mike and I have just kind of, it's more of like, you know, Mike and I talk like what politics and like, you know, f- football and uh, we just more like hang out. And Mike actually had everybody over for uh, like this, like the first week we were there when all the covers were there, we had this huge barbecue at his sister's house in the middle of nowhere. And he smoked like three, two briskets, ribs, boudin, and like a bunch of other. It was amazing. Oh, it was, like, and they had a band, and, like a, he had a blues band. A friend of his has a blues band. They had a blues band that he sang in for a little bit. It was great. Oh, it was amazing. That sounds that like, amazing. Utterly delightful. It <laughs> oh, it was completely <laughs> delightful. I mean, and the only thing, I mean, the thing I've, I think I've just learned from Mike just by watching. I mean, Mike is Mike is a guy who's really. I mean, he never. I don't think he ever got a young artist program. I don't. Th- other than I think he went for Santa Fe one summer for a cup of coffee. But I don't think he's ever. He don't think he's ever won a big competition. I don't think you know he didn't go to. Pre- I don't think he even has a master's. If memory serves mm-hmm. me, I don't think he mm-hmm. went. To, I don't think he has a master's. I think he just has an undergrad. I mean, Mike's just one of those guys you watch and go. That's like the preeminent thing of like the thing we get told a lot in opera business is like as long as you stick it out and don't piss people off and you're good enough, mm-hmm. you'll get. You'll have a career. And, and as long Mike as you come a, on uh, opera box score, you will have yeah. a career guaranteed. <laughs> oh, guaranteed. Like, that's it. Like, it just, yeah, here it is. I'm done. Yeah, right, I'm done. I'm going to go. I'm gonna, like, I'm, I met debut next year. No, that's not true. That's not true. Um, but no, like, uh, but no, Mike, Mike is like the epitome of a guy who's just, who's a great singer and just stuck it out for like mm. 15 years before he actually got recognition. Like, Al, kind of like an Alan Held. Alan Held kind of did a similar thing where he, like for 10 years was just struggling and then he got the wolf trap and then he got wno and then he got the met you know it's just it's just people who just, just sticking it out is that that's what i've learned from him so and that's what i'm you know kind of done as well but except i had some more competition wins and then some other stuff to buoy my my bank account so alex when you're not singing I know you're a big Dungeons and Dragons fan and Dungeon Master, is that the right word? Yeah, we're like they call it DMs is the is like the you no know, be I was like why DM a game, I run a game type of thing. And, yeah. and forgive me, but I think during the pandemic, this was like a revenue stream for you. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was it was my only income during the pandemic. <laughs> uh because during the pandemic, I I uh tried to pl- apply for unemployment. And the problem is you had to apply for unemployment because uh, for, for the 1099 employees, they like you could finally file for unemployment. The only problem was you had to file in the state you last worked in. And that state for me was uh, what's like it was uh, Florida. And so then I applied through and Florida was a mess. It like first was like the thing was always down. And then once you got through it, they're like, oh, we reject you. You need to come into like the office and meet with one of our people to get your money. I'm like, I live in Colorado. And they're like, well, that's what you're going to have to do. And I was like, oh, so I have no money and no way of making money right now. So I found, I was like, you know what? I'm going to run Dungeons and Dragons professionally. I had, and it started <laughs> off slow, but eventually I had, uh, I had like seven to nine groups and I was making like a thousand dollars a week running Dungeons and Dragons out of my oh, home. Damn. Yeah, it was nuts. It was truly insane. It made no sense. Uh, and then once I started, once the opera started coming back, I started telling certain groups like, Hey, when this campaign's over, we're done. And, you know, and some of them were moving anyways, so that made it convenient. And so now I, I just have the three, uh, that I run now. And so I still run them now. So when I go home, I have to run a bunch of Dungeons and Dragons when I get back, because I've been gone for like six weeks here 
and they've already been texting me like, so why don't we play it again? I'm like, oh, guys, I'm back in like a week. Just give me. Well, a minute, I mean, okay? you, know, you can you can use your experience in opera in uh, in D and D. This is a true story about me. My first ever DM campaign, which my DM quit on because I was such a bad player. Uh, I based my player character. Uh, I, I was I was a bard that I based on. <laughs> based loosely on the composer arnold schoenberg and that was a terrible idea that was um, a, that's a that's the especially when there's better options yes yes <laughs> I, I, again it was my first time i did not know what i was doing but you know th- there is always an opportunity there's always a crossover somewhere so you know uh mm-hmm. i believe in you <laughs> that's that is true i mean there is, i mean it, all the all the arts are incestuous in their own ways i guess including dungeons and dragons it's so true robert watson who was on the show a couple weeks ago and was at marilla with us is also a big dungeons and dragons player i completely believe that rob 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 always came off as a huge nerd to me so that does not surprise me the question is he plays in europe so i wonder if he plays in german or not so oh buddy before we let you go give us a quick uh hot take on some sports northwestern wildcats obviously huge drama in the off season with allegations mm-hmm. of sexual abuse, hazing, this team has struggled in the big 10 this year. What's the mm-hmm. first step to rebuilding and trying to get back on track? Oh, they're not, they're done. Um, that's my hot take. Uh, the hot take is they're done and they're not. And they're, the thing is they're not even done because I mean, don't get me wrong. This was like the death nail of like, they treat like the whole situation was, was not done. Well, now Fitzgerald is suing the, the administration for false uh was it nor um uh was it uh wrongfully terminated uh lawsuit uh the rumor is they're not even going to build the stadium anymore because they don't they don't think they're gonna be able to get the funds for it anymore right. and then the other thing is with nil deals northwestern is not going to spend a million dollars on a on a quarterback you're 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 not going to have good teams anymore that's just that's just the way it is Baritone Alex DeSocio has roles coming up uh, in The Magic Flute and American Soldier later this year. Mm-hmm. The moment he is literally mid-performance at Houston Grand Opera covering the role of Travis Briggs in the new Jake Heggie and Gene Shear Opera Intelligence. Buddy, so great to talk to you again. And God, you just you make me laugh every time. Hey, that's my job. You know, it's uh, I played a lot of fools uh, in my career, and now I'm, I'm I'm transitioning into the American white guy racist. So uh, that's that's my new thing. Uh, as I'm <laughs> like, Travis Travis Briggs, an American soldier, I'm literally just playing American white racist for the year. So and <laughs> Papagano. So I guess there's also that. So <laughs> we'll wrap it up with the uh, excerpt from Jake Heggie's Moby Dick. This is Starbucks aria. Alex Associa with pianist Sky Lee. Little bit of sports talk before we start throwing free throws. Of course, uh, time for an update from Tobias Wright, former friend of the show. He writes to me, Dearest <laughs> George, you know this is going to go well when he opens like that. It is with great shame that I write to you regarding our most recent matchup in the Upper Philadelphia Fantasy Football mm-hmm. League. We have a feisty team thus far in the season and have battled to stay at 500 and middle of the pack with creative roster management and a bit of luck. This week, however, the football gods did not smile upon us Mm. as our projected scores were not met by seven of our nine performers. It was a blowout defeat at the hands of the team called Delco Dumpster Fire, led by a Herculean effort from Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills. And as we enter into this next week of the long season, we stand with a record of three and four and in ninth place, my sincerest regards, Toby, 
See, these kinds of results are are, are why uh, we couldn't have them on the show anymore. You know, never, you know, never a true. Word Toby, if, if if you got if you got your act together, if we were on top, maybe we'd consider letting you back into the fold. But right now, you know, got to keep Matt. <laughs> Swish. Uh, free throw. In October, friend of the show Ryan Speedo Green made his debut with the Chicago Philharmonic, singing a concert of arias that traced his career from supporting roles like Colleen and La Boheme to being the Mets' poster boy for last season's champion, a rare lead vehicle for a bass baritone of any race. Speedo joined Oliver for an interview for his other job, but shares this inspiring story of how he pulled himself out of depression and positioned himself to become a household name in our industry. What would you say are the highlights of your career for yourself uh, since you kind of splashed onto the scene in 2018 with your book and with the 60 Minutes profile? What do you count as the benchmarks? Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, 2019, was awesome because I got to be in, you know, four game best at the Met opening that season and, you know, winning, winning my first Grammy with, you know, being a part of four game best is Jake and being able to sing with uh, one of my childhood idols, uh, Eric Owens, who is, you know, if anybody's career would I want to, you know, I've, I've been compared to a lot of uh, other African-American singers um, who, first of all, you know, look nothing like me <laughs> and, and, uh, um, and some of them don't even sound like me. I, I once got called Larry Brownlee. That was funny. <laughs> um, no, seriously, I'm not even joking. Gosh. Um, what I've never been called or compared to is Eric Owens. And he is one of the greatest musicians, not just African-American, but the greatest musicians I've ever met in my life. He gave me the, some of the greatest advice as a young singer and pushed me to push myself in a sense of like believing that I'm capable of more than what I thought I was capable of. And uh, to, so be, to be a part of a show with him in, in such a huge moment for the Met to be performing that show in, I don't know how many years with the all-star cast that, that, that was Angel Blue and LaTanya and the whole, the whole gang. It was, it felt like an invitation to the picnic. <laughs> you know, like, like in that kind of moment, being able to like be a part of that. You know, and also, I, it's my first my first time performing with Denise Graves, whom is the reason why I'm even singing opera. You know, and that for me was huge as, as personally. In what personal, show? Uh, um, Porgy and Bess. Okay. I was Jake in that. Yeah, and and so after that, um, I will argue that the the greatest moment of 2020 was the birth of my second son, Anais, because 2020 pretty much sucked for everybody. Uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I lost all my gigs, uh, almost lost my home. Yeah, I went into a huge depression. It was one of the worst years of my life. Uh, but it was also the biggest trial of me as a man, as a husband, as a father. And I was able to overcome um, my depression. I was able to overcome my feelings of inadequacy as a, as a, as a man and as a father and as, as a caretaker because of having no work and being jobless. Um, and I pushed myself to, you know, you know, if I could work on my voice, I'd work on other things, you know, and I started working on my body, which happened to be perfect timing for 2021, which is where I was able to, you know, how do you say when you're, there's an old, I forget what the old saying is when your time comes, you have to be ready kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, when you, and when your number's called, you have to be ready. And I was at the Met, you know, I was performing, uh, um, in fire shut of my bones as uncle Paul and a phone call came and my manager was like, Speedo, how quickly could you learn Barlam, relearn Barlam and Boris? Cause I had sung it like five years before at the Vina Shatsova. And I told him how much time do I have? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I told him anything is possible with enough coachings. <laughs> <laughs> and I was able to relearn and be ready to sing off book on stage in like three days. And I sang, uh, I ended up jumping in at the Metropolitan Opera singing Varlam and Boris um, on top of singing Uncle Paul and Fire Show My Bones, on top of singing Jake and Porgy and Bess, on top of covering Crown and Porgy and Bess, on top of covering Eric Owens and the Verdi Requiem, on top of singing uh, Colina and La Boheme. And on top of singing Truffle Dino and Ariadne Afnoxos at the same time. 
And this all happened. It was like almost like a uh, when the ball rolls, a boulder rolls down a hill, snowball, mm-hmm. snowball into a into a, a, a avalanche. Where I went from being, you know, pretty pretty well, you know, no pretty known in the at the Metropolitan Opera to being sort of a little bit of a household name overnight because of the amount of people were seeing me on stage of the yeah. Met. You were the house base. Seeing, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and, and it wasn't something that I was planned. Believe me, it was something that was planned. I just happened to, my number was called, and uh, it was sort of a perfect storm of uh, Thomas Lausmann. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Thomas Lausmann, who was the who was this uh, Studienleiter at the Wiener Staatsoper when I was there, became the Studienleiter at the Met. I guess the head of music at the Met. I'm sorry, I'm not sure what the exact terminology is mm-hmm. in English. Um, became head of music at the Met. And he literally started that. It was his first year, like actually working, because when he got the job in 2020, obviously you know what happened in 2020. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he didn't, he didn't work very much, but in 2021, um, he, he he knew from knowing my work ethic and no, knowing what I was capable of in the system in Venus Schatzover, where they do 51 operas a season, and how I had done in four years at the Venus Schatzover, I had sung over 42 roles and over 250 performances on the stage. That he knew that learning and singing, you know, seven roles in like four months would be nothing, and uh, it showcased and it, it impressed enough people at the in in the administration that Peter Gelb came to me and 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 told me like, hey, I think you're ready for a lead role, and I told him if you think so, <laughs> <laughs> and, and and he's like, how would you like to? to be uh, the leading champion. And I, I, the first thing that came out of my mouth without even thinking is I told him, uh, Mr. Gelb, I promise you that, you know, you give me this role, I will make sure not only that I sing it to the best of my abilities, but I will look the part and I will be physically and, and, and mentally in, in, the, in the right space to be able to portray uh, uh, this kind of boxer on stage. And and when I met with Terrence the next the, in the next couple of days afterwards, you know, to talk about it, I told him the same thing. It's like I will not let this moment pass me by, because it, it this is a dream I never imagined I would have. I was I was happy and and completely fine and completely great with singing Uncle Paul and Fire. Like that to me was amazing to be a part of the first African American composer comp- opera sung and performed at the Met. For me to be a part of that was for me one you know once in a, once in a lifetime type of thing, you know to be the first to be a part of that and to to get an opportunity to portray one of uh, a major character in one of his other operas, the lead role in one of his other operas, I I wouldn't take this chance lightly. And I told him that, and I was like, I will do everything in my power to make sure that uh, I I represent your music and the character that you wrote and put myself every every bit of myself into it. And I hope that you know you know I was able to do that. Ryan Speedo Green singing Young Emile's aria, What Makes a Man, from the Mets production of Terrence Blanchard's Champion. 
Next week, Spiro is in residence at Florida State University before he embarks back to Germany, where he'll make his role debut as Heinrich in Lohengrin for the Deutsche Oper Berlin. Thanks to Chicago Philharmonic for coordinating the interview with our friend Speedo. You can coordinate with us. Send us a voice memo or email us your hot takes, mailbag at operaboxscore.com. Super simple. Or you can even just record your thoughts. Use that You Got Something to Say page on the website, operaboxscore.com. Right now, two-minute drill. This just in. The two-minute drill. All right, listen up. Here's everything you need to know about what happened in Opera Land this week. Friend of the show, Lydia Yankovskaya, is stepping down from her role as music director of Chicago Opera Theater. Her final performance with the company will be Shostakovich's The Nose this December. She will continue involvement with COT via its Vanguard initiative, the training and residency program for first-time opera composers. The Cambridge University Opera Society in England has canceled an upcoming production of Handel's Saul over concerns that its themes might upset audiences due to the catastrophe in Israel and the Gaza Strip. Said director Max Mason, quote, the unfolding situation in the Middle East has shocked and appalled all people around the world, and especially those who have some personal connection to the region. Given the parallels of the oratorio's plot to this conflict, we came to the unanimous conclusion that we cannot continue. The Grand Théâtre de Lisieux will use an intimacy coordinator for its upcoming production of John Adams, Antony, and Cleopatra, believed to be the first time such a position has been employed by a company in Spain. That's according to The Guardian. Ida O'Brien, the intimacy coordinator for the production, said producers initially questioned her involvement, arguing in her words, quote, We haven't had this before, and we don't really think we'll need it. Houston Grand Opera will partner with Apple Music Classical to share new recordings of operas as well as remastered releases from its back catalog. Said HGO General Director and CEO Corey Dastor, quote, We're thrilled to expand our programming to a worldwide audience through our strong new partnership with Apple, whose commitment to excellence and innovation is in perfect alignment with our own long history. The first release will be a remaster of the 2011 production of Dead Man Walking with Joyce DiDonato and Frederica von Stada. In an update to the drill story about women being disenfranchised in Australia's opera scene, Joe Davies' inaugural season as artistic director of Opera Australia will bring increased opportunities for women as conductors and directors. The new season will also feature five contemporary operas, including four by Australian composers. A century after her birth, Maria Callas has been honored with a new museum in Greece. The city of Athens inaugurated the Maria Callas Museum last week, located next to the city's cathedral and with a view of the Acropolis. The museum offers a recreated room of her Paris apartment, recordings of live performances, of her teaching at the Juilliard School, and exhibits of her costumes. In trade news, for the first time in 43 years, Pacific Opera Victoria has a new artistic director. Brenna Corner was hired following an international search to replace founding artistic director Timothy Vernon. Sarah Myers will become the next artistic director of On-Site Opera, succeeding co-founder Eric Einhorn. Myers has been on the directing staff of the Met for over a decade, as well as having worked at other regional opera companies. Florida Grand Opera has announced that Maria Todaro will serve as the company's interim general director through the 2023-2024 season. The mezzo-soprano has worked as a stage director with Minnesota Opera, Atlanta Opera, and Hawaii Opera Theater. Nadine Sierra made history at the Bilbao Opera last week, encoring the audience after an aria in Gounod's Romeo et Juliette, She received a rousing ovation following her initial performance and then got a chance to give the first beast in her career. On the disabled list, Sandra Radvanovsky has withdrawn from Paris Opera's Turandot due to illness. Tamara Wilson, Irene Thioran, and Anna Perozzi will share the title role throughout the production. And citing illness as well, Matthew Polizzani has canceled his performance at yesterday's Richard Tucker Gala. And on this day, October 30th in 1733, it's the first performance of Handel's opera Semiramide. 1753, first performance of Rameau's Daphne et Aigle in Fontainebleau. 1821, probably a double bill, Mercadante's Andronico 
and also Elise e Claudio. 1880, the first premiere of Offenbach's opera comique Belle Lorette, which was later completed by Delib. Into the 20th century, 1918, the first performance of Siegfried Wagner's Sonnenflammen in Darmstadt. 1925, the first performance of Lehar's Paganini Opera in Vienna. 1946, the birth of Belgian countertenor and conductor René Jacobs in Ghent. In 1955, the birth of French baritone François Leroux in Rennes. And closing out the century, 1983, the first performance of Hans Werner Hentz's Oedipus de Tiran in Kintberg. In 2000, the first performance of Aribert Reimann's Banada Alba's house in Munich. And on this day in 2023, well, that's today. <laughs> it's the opening of the 2023 Operalia quarterfinals in Cape Town, South Africa. And that's your two-minute drill. heard a little bit of Rene Jacobs singing. Of course, now he's much more well-known as a conductor. Um, but back in his the start of his career, he was a countertenor, which I did not actually know somehow, uh, even though I literally have uh, recordings of him in my library somewhere. Uh, but let me just say, George Cedarquist with the On This Day? Has that Kill ever it, happened it. before? <laughs> it's very, very rare. It's very rare. And I nailed it. I have to admit, what a great On This Day. These were Hensa, Raimon, Mercadante, Lehar. These are just such great composers. I mean, a little. they're all a little bit random. Maybe not Lehar, but Hensa, Raimon. The only person missing from that trio is Detlev Glanert. Ah, uh, yes. Good old Detlev. We, <laughs> sorry to all you Detlev stands out there. Uh, he was not <laughs> born today. Uh, uh, and of course, the Operalia Report will be next week when we know more, because obviously we record these in advance and uh, we don't know what the outcome will be. But the finals will be Sunday at 5 p.m. Central European time or noon Eastern Standard Time. It'll be streamed on Medici.tv and Facebook. It just the Operalia competition is so I'm going to use the word bittersweet which is not the right word for it, right? Obviously this is the competition first of all f- funded by Rolex watches Bizarre. and driven artistically by Placido Domingo. So already we're into like big luxury goods and a singer whose track record is dubious at best. At the same time <laughs> it is the big European Opera Competition. Forget your International Opera Awards. This is huge. It's yeah. streamed on TV. So, like, should we be talking about Operalia? Should we not be talking about Operalia? I mean, I think it is It is an important competition. I think the association with uh, Placido is unfortunate. With any luck, he'll be struck by lightning and, and they can just proceed forward without him. I think that's the best case scenario. Rolex, I mean, whenever I go to the opera and I see a Rolex ad, I'm like, wow, you 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 know how to make a poor man feel uncomfortable, my friend. <laughs> but, you know, if we want to take their money, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> I, I want to get to the point where I go to the opera and, and I open up my program and just, it just says, Arby's, we have the meats. Honestly, like if Lyric Op Chicago got rid of Invesco QQQ and got Arby's in there, I would be so on board. I mean, it would be a it would be a bold move for Arby's, but I think they could they could probably spin it. Man, I'd be sitting in the stairwells eating curly fries with horsey <laughs> sauce. <laughs> <laughs> they, that's part of the contract. They have to have, you know, at intermission, they have to have the roast beef sandwiches Horsey ready to sauce. go. 
Oh, goodness. That's a greasy time at the opera. Oh, I'm going to wipe my fingers on the carpet. <laughs> Lydia Yankovska stepping down at Chicago Opera Theater. Yes. In, uh, this, is, uh, this is a change. This is a biggie. And I think next week we will get a, a swings and misses segment yes. going on her tenure there. Of course, she, now she comes up on the roster at Opera Australia. Yeah, that's true. She's going to be conducting uh, Il Tritico uh, at Opera Australia. Ironically, not one of the uh, one of the new operas we were talking about, or by contemporary composers. But there are some there are some good ones in this season, you know. But they're bringing in female conductors: Jessica Cotis, Lydia, as you said, Zoe Zeniodi, who I do not know. Um, mm-hmm. Teresa Riviero Boom uh, is uh, is going to be in magic uh, conducting Magic Flute. We also have female directors as well: Imara Savage and Louise Sarks, Sarah uh, Giles, Kate Gall, Lindy Hume. This is honestly fantastic, and it, it do, really does feel like a direct response to that article we shared a few weeks ago. That was basically wow. There's no one behind the scenes at Opera who is not a, a cis white. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really, really. So this is really great. I, I'm really excited about this. Do come back next week, y'all, so we can do the, a swings and misses on Lydia. That's not going to be something you'll want to miss. Cambridge University Opera Society cancels its upcoming production of Handel's Oratorio, Saul. Now, mm. yes, we can all say that all George here can't name five operas by Handel. But look, Saul... <laughs> I, I, we can debate how often this is done or not. Here's what's, I think, important to know about this story. So first of all, this was the director himself, and it sounds like the production team, the cast even, quoted as a unanimous conclusion, to cancel this show. My understanding is that there was nothing in the visual language of the production that made reference to Israel, Palestine, the Gaza Strip, Hamas, this dreadful war that continues to afflict this region. So it feels to me like these folks are too smart for their own good, essentially, <laughs> right? And it's like, there they are over in Cambridge, and they're they're self-canceling because they're ahead of the audience. They're basically saying the work that we've done, yeah. we can see the parallels to what's happening in the world right now, and so we're just going to call this thing off. Yeah, it, it's hard. I, I'm not familiar enough with Saul, not to sound too much like George here, but I, I don't have the encyclopedic knowledge of Handel operas either that I probably should. Um, but I, I can't imagine that it would be – I had the same reaction. Like unless the production has been updated to like the 21st century, I don't really see how this one could be – that concerning compared to a myriad of other operas that are going on that you could easily draw parallels toward, you know, if this was death of Klinghoffer, yeah, I could see, I could see that one, you know, but, uh, it's, it's kind of a strange decision. I mean, like, you know, I, I do tend to say, you know, trust the artists sometimes on the, on these sorts of calls, but my, my gut says it probably wasn't necessary either. Sometimes, you know, these worlds align and, and they can align without colliding. You can have works of art and the times around them can shift all of a sudden. And, and all of a sudden, it's not that they become relevant. They were always relevant, but just the spheres align. And it can be done in a way that is uh, provocative, questioning, but tasteful and not upsetting. And, and it feels like everyone was a little... You talk about trigger warnings. Everyone was a little bit itchy on the trigger finger here to cancel this. Yeah, I think you're probably right. But uh, we'll never know because it's not going on. (laughs) 43 years is a long time in anything. 43 years is a long time in playing a professional sport and coaching a team. So Timothy Vernon, who founded Pacific Opera Victoria, which is in the western part of Canada, 43 years that is a long run. I, I wouldn't know. I mean, I, 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 I'm told by Oliver Camacho that it's but a blink of an eye. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm not 700 years old, so I can't comment on that. <laughs> Let us wrap this show up. Good call. Bad call. On Opera Box Score. Good call, bad call as a way to... Wrap things up this week, and we will start with Weston Williams because I have no choice. 
Yes, I, I, I can really monopolize my time here, really sort of luxuriate in the fact that I didn't actually think of a good call until this moment. But that's okay because, you know, I was going through my CD collection this week and I was doing some digging. I'm finally cataloging all of the things that I have in my collection because, you know, as we know, Apple Music is making a real break for classical music. They're trying to corner the market. So I was on purpose trying to see how many operas and pieces of music Music I had that were not available on uh, on uh, you know Apple Classical, and it was a, a, a disturbingly high number. I'm really you know I think my bad call is just you know don't let don't let the big the big corporation take all the opera. Don't depend on it too much. Keep those that little stash of extra special operas just for yourself. I don't think you're going to regret it, but maybe you will when you run out of space in your pantry, as I have. <laughs> Ashley's got a good call, which we're also going to put on the website. It's a YouTube clip of Jonas Kaufman with baritone and TikTok sensation Babatunde Akinbaboye driving around doing karaoke. About 18 minutes long. <laughs> I think it was shot in Berlin, probably. You can check that out. I have a good call. It's a bit of a pat on the back. For some reason, my son really wanted to hear the episode from last year when we ranked all of the NFL intro jingles. Oh, yes. And so we went back to the archives. It turns out it was almost a year ago or over a year ago, October 20th, 2022. It's a great 10-minute wow. segment. And the, the poor boy's head sort of exploded by listening to all these things. And he couldn't believe that John Williams himself had written an intro. I couldn't either. You know, I get it. I get it, kid. <laughs> That's it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Get your voice heard and find links to stuff we've talked about at the website, operaboxscore.com. That's also where you're going to put your money, where our mouths are. Give back to the OBS on the Support the Team page. Hey, Amy and Mark in New York City gave. They're getting merch, and they very much appreciated our good call on Dead Man Walking. Your announcer is Norm Waddell. Your creative consultant is Oliver Camacho. And your audio editor is Weston Williams. For our guests, Alex DeSocio and Ryan Speedo Green, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera as you play Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> We're back with an all new show next week when Lisa Davidson takes a free throw on the role of Yennefer and her lyric opera of Chicago debut. Lisa Davidson on OBS! <laughs> Plus, you get more opera headlines, more hot takes, and more coordinated intimacy. Join us.